Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by Minima.Global, Circle, and Pastel Network. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story. First off, I'm sorry to anybody who lost funds. It has been a hell of a bear market, a hell of a bear market. And I feel like everybody that's watching, everybody that's hosting, just everybody in crypto in general did not see this coming. I guess looking for the silver lining here, Binance starts recovery fund for crypto projects facing liquidity crisis. CZ says this is for strong projects who are facing liquidity issues. He told anyone who thinks they qualify to contact Binance Labs. He welcomed other industry players with cash who want to co-invest. Justin Sun said that Tron, who will be global and Polonex will support the initiative and more details coming soon. The tweet is up if you guys want to go ahead and read that. But CZ is talking about to reduce future cascading events because let's face it, this is part of the crypto contagion and FTX collapsing doesn't just impact cut. Well, I guess it impacts these people are customers. There's a lot of people that had funds there doing business, etc. So I guess that this is the silver lining of this absolute tragedy. I will hand this over to... <laughs> eeny meeny miny mo <laughs> to will i it's just this is all so terrible did you hand it off to me because i was the only one smiling because that's the takeaway i'm getting here yeah uh, and maybe you're like you're behind a br- in front of a brick wall so maybe you've got some intel for us i'm in purgatory <laughs> like every other crypto trader right now it's been last week was rough last week was very hard day for the industry and for right reasons investors out there are reeling i think this is one of the Larger shots probably ever up there with Mt. Gox. I'm sure you guys talked about it all last week. So we don't have to spend too much time on that. The Binance angle for this is certainly important. And it puts, oddly, more trust in CZ's hands, which I think a lot of people are skeptical about putting more faith into a centralized exchange after seeing what happened with FTX. I think we're going to be more skeptical about these central operators in crypto. And for the right reason, and I think CZ is embracing that with some of his tweets saying that he's going to take shots at rivals some more, ask some more questions, dig deeper, present his thoughts openly to the public. And I think that's a good thing. But this bailout fund, it, it does reminisce back to June when FTX was saying the same thing, right? And you're like, hmm, there's some odd similarities here. 
what's the reason for that? Uh, hopefully, this is just a conglomerate with a lot of liquidity and cash that can hand out to teams. There's a lot of awesome teams out there that just didn't balance themselves correctly. They had too many tokens in their treasury, or they had too high cash flows going out the door instead of in the door. And now they're going to need some help. So hopefully, this can be a big backstop for the industry. But I think most people are just a little questioning uh, something like this at the moment. Jen, I'll throw it down to you. Yeah, I was reading the story and I just, I had deja vu, you know, it just felt like we were starting this whole cycle again with someone else. I remember when FTX was going in and bailing everyone out. I think Zach, you said on the show, should one man have all this power? And I think we realized now that the answer is no. I think for Binance, though, this is an interesting opportunity for them to start pulling projects into their ecosystem. I also thought back to June when CZ tweeted, it was not easy saying no to Super Bowl ads, stadium naming rights, and large sponsorship deals, but they did. That was among all of the crypto layoffs. And in that same tweet, they announced that they had 2,000 open positions. I know I've said on, on the show before, Binance has really weathered many, many, many storms. And I think this is just another storm that that they are showing that they are weathering. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? Um, I also kind of narrowed in on one quote in that article by CZ. He said, we're going to try to collect the other industry players together to form an industry association globally and try to deal with some of the common standards in business. I thought that standards and business piece was really interesting because what's happening with FTX is really a business problem. There were a lot of business decisions that were made that didn't pan out for FTX and affected the wider industry. And I think that's what we should be addressing, especially when it comes to looking at what went wrong in some of the regulation. Many of these things are business issues, not crypto issues. Zach, what do you got? Yeah. I mean, we're going to see more of this come out in the coming days. Hedge funds locked up in FTX. Project treasuries locked up in FTX. I would imagine these are the type of projects that Binance is looking to help out in their time of need. That's not to stop CZ from slinging a little bit of mud on Twitter.com. In one of the replies, he uh, suggested that FTX was a bit of a liar and a fraud in its actions here and that this would be supporting good projects, not those bad projects that are only shown to be bad after they catastrophically fail. So it's going to be interesting to see who they ultimately onboard for this thing. If projects with stuck funds who are now sort of in the bankruptcy proceeding process end up flocking over to CZ to get a little bit of that needed liquidity so they can keep on keeping on. I'd be curious to see if those were announced as well, which ones ultimately take up this offer or whether or not this is just a nice gesture that we might not hear of much down the line. Curious to see, got the big whales backing up this thing. I think Justin Sun was involved. So pretty much those left standing, those with the giant bags are saying, hey, if you're impacted by this FTX thing, we got your back. Going to be interesting to see what comes of this and if uh, updates are proffered in terms of who all is taking them up on this offer. So... I don't know. We'll see. So here's a big question. What's the most important thing about crypto? It's not transactions per second. It's not convenience. And it's not even smart contracts. It's decentralization to achieve censorship resistance so we can all be free. Minima is a new layer one blockchain designed to run in full on a smartphone so that anyone can participate in building Minima's decentralized network as an equal. Join over 300,000 Minima node runners on the incentive program today to start earning Minima every day until mainnet launch. Get started at Minima.global. This 
This episode is brought to you by Circle, the sole issuer of USDC and a leader in crypto that's held to a higher standard. USDC is a fast, safe, and efficient way to send money around the globe. USDC is always redeemable one-to-one for US dollars and has over $45 billion in circulation as of October 13th, 2022. Plus, Circle posts weekly reserve reports and monthly attestations of reserve capital, letting users know that USDC is safe, transparent, and compliant with regulations. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to see why USDC is a trusted stablecoin. Wednesday's top story. Another day, another day to discuss what is going on with all of the FTX drama. Zach, I'm going to kick it off to you for our first story. What do you got? The beatings will continue until morale improves. That is the word here out in the crypto land today. This time, Genesis the big time crypto lender, its lending arm is halting customer withdrawals, likely due to some exposure to FTX, the now bankrupt crypto exchange. This note, of course, Genesis is owned by the same parent company as Coindesk, that is Digital Currency Group. So making that disclosure up here at the top. If this were to be the next shoe to fall in this crypto unwinding, it would be a big one. So we're going to talk about it here. Let's talk about Genesis and understand its role in the space. I want to talk to Will for just a quick history on what Genesis provides to many firms across the crypto landscape. Yeah, I'll start off with saying that Coindesk is a family-friendly publication. But if there were a time to curse on air, this would be the time. Because Genesis is that important to the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Their loan originations back up so many different firms. They underlie the market-making systems for all these crypto tokens which adds liquidity to the market, adds actually like a reasonable price when you're going to go buy a token like Bitcoin. And then they have a lot of loans out there just for people in the, the normal space as well, right? If you want to run your business, you need capital. Genesis came about, uh, about 2015, 2016 or so. They've been one of the largest loan origination firms in the space. They're owned by Digital Currency Group, uh, which of course is kind of like this large octopus, if you will, like the standard oil of crypto where they have like a lot of different controlling interests and many businesses. And those businesses are all extremely fundamental to crypto for good reason. They've been around for a while. They've been robust. They've been able to weather all the storms, all the cycles in crypto. But this one seems to have bitten them a little bit. DCG, of course, is well known for its equity uh, options for Bitcoin and Ethereum with its trust, which you can just purchase in like your Charles Schwab account or somewhere else. And this Genesis account is slightly different. It's owned by DCG. And oftentimes we're seeing right now that DCG steps in and helps Genesis out. So we saw that over the summer where Genesis also took a big haircut from what happened with Terra, Luna, and 3AC. And DCG came in and gave them some cash. And they did that the other week, again, with a $130 million equity infusion into Genesis to keep them afloat. But now this news comes that they are halting any loan originations and withdrawals for the moment, which is, that's pretty big news in terms of all the people who are relying on Genesis and then also the market making activities. It does seem right now that Genesis is going to continue trading, uh, which is very, very important. I don't think a lot of people think about the market making space, but Alameda was a large market maker for all of crypto, especially for Bitcoin. And when you lose a market maker, that means that prices are all over the place. Uh, you're not going to get a good price entry. And for people who are looking to move into the space, 
and you need people to move in the space to help the price recover, well, you need to have good market making. And so if Genesis trading stops market making or if there's any fluctuations around that, that's also something to watch. And that would be very detrimental to the space. Wendy, I want to throw it up to you, though, and get your take on the story. So first, I do have funds on Gemini, and I do believe that they are doing maintenance maintenance right now. So we'll see how that plays out. Fingers crossed that they are okay. I know that they were one of the exchanges that didn't provide proof of reserves or Miracle Tree. They just says, you're safe. We're registered here. We're registered there. But again, we've heard many other CEOs in crypto say this. As far as Genesis goes and as far as market making goes, this is immensely important because I don't think that Bitcoin has capitulated yet. And in fact, when it does, people are going to want to get start trading altcoins a little bit more because there's a lot of fear in the market. And if we don't have these market makers out there to kind of stabilize price, people are going to be getting liquidated. Their stops are going to be getting hit. It is going to be an absolute mess. Again, if you have cryptocurrency on any centralized exchange, please consider getting it off. I don't think anything is super safe right now. Yeah, it's just really is a domino effect, right? The last six months have been super tough in this industry. Well, like you said, Genesis lost hundreds of millions of dollars in the 3AC blow up. And Wendy, to what you're saying, so just for our audience, Genesis works with Gemini for their EARN program, right? And over the last two days, Gemini has been releasing emails that, and I, I'm not trying to FUD here, that are saying, you know, our funds are fine. We have enough assets to back customer funds. But I just feel like the industry customers have lost trust because of that SBF tweet that is now deleted that we saw a week ago saying assets are fine. Everything is fine. Now, Wendy, you're saying that apparently Gemini has gone offline for maintenance. Maybe that is true. Maybe, you know, they're just trying to figure out what's going on behind the scenes because everyone is trying to get their funds off of these exchanges for good reason. And it just feels like a really dire situation. Will, I'll give it to you for last thoughts. I'll, I'll go right quick and then to Zach. I think a lot of people, when they think about the space, the first thing they think about is exchange they touch or their favorite token or their NFT. But there's people behind all that stuff that make these things work. And Genesis is one of those firms, right? They are large and they're quiet. The fact that we know about them now, that they're being loud because something's going on, means that things are bad. So this is definitely a very large story to watch. Hopefully, things open up again and there's not a liquidity crunch. Up to Zach, though. Yeah, it just goes to show the interconnectedness that exists within the crypto industry. There's all these companies that exist on top of crypto, the bigger thing, but the crypto industry is often tightly interconnected. Have you ever tried creating an NFT? Creators usually face limitations from existing marketplaces and tools or are hindered by complex coding requirements if they try to do it themselves. Well, those days are over. Smart Mint by Pastel Network is a free-to-use and no-code platform that makes minting NFTs easier than ever. Create custom NFT drops and collections across ecosystems like Ethereum and Polygon, while also having the flexibility to add customized features and manage existing creations with just a few clicks. Get started today for free at smartmint.pastel.network. Thursday's top story. Sam Bankman-Fried has tickets to his downfall for sale and they are free. So there is a Danny Nelson article on Coindesk that has one of my favorite subheaders about a Vox article. And there's a lot of inception there. And the subheader said, Icarus keeps live tweeting his fall from the firmament. Beautiful, beautiful subheader. Well done, Danny. 
So there was this piece that was published on Vox yesterday in which the author carried out a DM interview over Twitter, the founder and disgraced former CEO of the now bankrupt crypto derivatives exchange FTX. And he said some interesting thing. Credit to the journalist who literally published screenshots of the exchange. Also, side note, the journalist does not use dark mode, and I have a problem with that. This guy, SBF, spent a lot of time on top of the crypto mountain in Washington, on the Hill lobbying regulators. He was the so-called good guy. So naturally, it was really, really interesting and weird and funny to see him say, and I quote, F regulators. What he actually said was, yeah, it's all PR. F regulators, they make everything worse, which is hilarious. I mean, whatever facade he had before as a good guy is completely shattered. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about regulators. He doesn't care about anything but making money. And then he went on to say something about how OFAC is slowly undermining US interests globally in the DMs. And I seem to remember not too long ago, he wrote something about how we need to adhere to the rules of OFAC. I mean, give me a break, dude. He then came up after the Vox article dropped because he thought it was off the record, which it definitely wasn't. And he tweeted that the regulators are great now. Like, I love the regulators. Being a regulator is hard. Like I said, give me a break. All this hand waving about, oh, I thought it was off the record. You're talking to a journalist whose job is to uncover nonsense like what you were peddling. And man, oh man, am I glad that he did not clarify it was off the record. Anyway, Zach, anything to add there? I'm really getting worked up. So let's. Turn it up a little bit. I'm just giving you. I'm just. I'm just giving you space to get worked up, man. So it's fun. It's fun to watch. I mean, to the reporter's credit, she confirmed the following morning in email whether or not she was actually speaking with Sam Bankman-Fried, and he confirmed that they were actually they spoke and that that was included in the piece. She showed her notes, but it does. I don't know. Speak to whether whether or not there was a misunderstanding, whether there's a media ethics question that needs to be unpacked. But the reality is, this was just a huge moment on Twitter last night in which everyone, not just crypto nerds, were looking at this story and commenting on it for how uh, crazily candid SBF appeared to be with a reporter from Vox, right? This had, uh, you know, that spicy regulator quote. It had something to indicate that maybe deposits to FTX were actually being held on Alameda, which was a bit unclear and a bit cryptic. There was all sorts of things in here that were potentially quite damning. And it just was a real head scratcher of a move. Was this some like elaborate 40 chess move that SBF was doing to prevent future things? Was this a lapse in judgment? Was he just worn down and it was just coming out in, in raw truth? It was just all so crazy. But the things that were said in there about his public image, about some of the inner workings of the business, uh, about so much more were just really crazy and quite shocking. But George, I saw your hand up when I mentioned the FTX Alameda thing. What do you got? I was mostly, I'm going to play armchair Twitter psychologist here. The things you say in DM is what you really feel. And the things you tweet, depending on who you are, aren't how you really feel. So I just thought the dissonance between, hey man, your DMs are leaked. We saw exactly how you feel about regulators, about ESG, all these things, and then you tweet as if we didn't just all see it, right? You're a public figure. <laughs> How can you think that we are that dumb that the things you said in DM, oh, those were DMs, I don't actually mean them. And then you tweet the thing that is the PR-focused front of you in the world, and we're supposed to believe that and not the thing you said in DMs that you thought were private. And although the DMs were not private-private, they're still in a more private setting, and he showed us who he was. And what, he's going to tweet like we didn't see it? 
Like, who does he think he is? Anyway, Jen. Is he unraveling? I just am having such a hard time making sense of what's going on. He had such a curated image. He had such a solid story that he told over and over and over again in the media. I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, but I feel like if he was being so open and candid about his thoughts as he was in in these DMs with anyone before, we would have found out about it eventually before his company imploded. And so I don't even know what to make of what's happening and, and his unraveling on Twitter right now. I know he said he, you know, I thought I was talking to a friend and then the journalist wrote that they had had a Zoom interview in the summer and then she had reached out via DM, not expecting him to answer. And here he is pouring out his heart and soul and showing us how he really feels about so many of the issues that we thought he stood for. It is so troubling. I just still, I know we just keep saying on this show today, help me make sense of it. Just help me make sense of what's going on, Sam Bankman-Fried, because I have no idea what's going on anymore. I don't think that he is being advised by anyone in PR right now. I feel like he's just, you know, kind of losing it, maybe doesn't know what to do next. And so one moment he wants to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And the other moment he's back to, to this curated image. I don't know, George, what do you got? Yeah, just an homage or a tribute to John J. Ray, J.J. Ray III. SBF has nothing to do with FTX anymore. J.J. Ray III, he's the boss now. So whatever image, whatever he's portraying out there is no indication of what FTX stands for right now. So just, you know, giving a shout out to my bankruptcy guy over there, J.J. Ray III. Who cares about PR? Who cares about PR at this point? He's his own man. Like I said, tickets to his downfall are for sale, and, and man, the price is free. Powered by Elon Musk. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> lots, lots to say here, lots to say here. At some point, like, you know, we'll stop talking about this, and that may be a good thing as FTX looks to rebuild and make some of its depositors whole. But for now, just revelations keep coming out, and the uh, level of interest is certainly still high, given that new facts seem to be emerging with stunning regularity. But yeah, one day, one day, maybe FTX makes its depositors whole. One day, maybe SBF mounts a comeback campaign. Maybe not. Uh, One day, maybe crypto moves again toward a more decentralized version of itself that isn't reliant on these big centralized intermediaries. But then again, maybe not. Going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds in the coming weeks, months, and years. This was a big event. Hold your keys. Hold your keys. That's what George says. Okay. He's the Bitcoin maxi on the panel right now. He says, hold your keys, not your keys, not your coin. Always good advice, regardless of the asset. Friday's top story. Now, just a few days ago, we were talking about privacy and some implications around that as it relates to some pending legislation in the EU. And I was out here standing for good old fashioned open public ledgers, and I was trying to make the case that they provide the transparency and auditability that makes crypto the possibility of self-regulation in crypto real, right? So I went out there and I said this thing and I was like, all right, let me just, you know, put on my hat for just, you know, straight up transparency. And I expressed some, you know, some some skepticism about the, the role of privacy coins and the uh, privacy preserving approaches that ultimately to me may hinder the ability of the crypto industry to advance its cause in DC and other global capitals. So joining us right now is Tor Bear. He is a co-founder of The Secret Network, which is a privacy-preserving blockchain network that does all sorts of good stuff. And he is kind enough to join us today. Tor, how are you doing? 
I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. I wore my privacy hat to match your transparency hat, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> as pictured here, my transparency hat, highly transparent. So yeah, let's do this thing. Yeah. So yeah, as I mentioned, I was out here standing for transparency, and I think you know there's lots of people in the space who believe that privacy-preserving technologies are critical for the future of our online lives. The thing I wanted to ask you is, how do we have the best of both worlds, right? Where we have the transparency, the auditability of these public chains, while also preserving our financial privacy. Um, that's my question to you. Are there hybrid approaches? Or is there a way that we can have the best of both worlds? Or is it indeed this black and white conversation? It's never black and white. Nothing is ever black and white, fortunately. And when it comes to privacy, we already have in the Web2 world, in our legacy web world, we've had an awakening around the importance of privacy. The only thing people don't really understand in the Web3 space is that there, there's plenty of people who care about having both the ability to make things public and the ability to make things private, but only the privacy by default version of that approach works. Because when you start public, making it private again is impossible. When you start private, you can always choose to reveal it. So that idea of selectively revealing data in certain circumstances to certain people, when I throw on my privacy hat, it's not a hat that says privacy all of the time at all costs. It's a hat that says, I at least want even the option. And only the private by default approach is what gives you that option of auditability and privacy because the transparent, the radical transparency approach to blockchains that we've started with, that doesn't give you choice. I really think it's an issue of choice, not just privacy. Gotcha. So I think in times of sort of crypto shenanigans, hacks, exploits, stuff that's being transferred on chain, you often hear crypto advocates say, hey, we can see what's happening. And oftentimes this is more traceable than legacy technologies, aka cash. And that is something I think right. that has resonated strongly with regulators the world over. Okay, if this helps us in fighting financial crime, maybe there is a place for this thing and we shouldn't regulate it out of existence. I guess my question is, do you think privacy preserving technologies compromise that narrative? Or is there a way to advance that narrative while also standing up for the right to privacy? I think what we're trying to build in the Web3 space isn't just about radical transparency and technology, because you can have auditability without radical transparency. You, you can have, like, for example, with Secret Network, we've implemented viewing keys where you can always choose to share balances with an accountant or with a family member in the event of something occurring. You can then reveal balances, send balances. It's all fully programmable. And uh, you have control over who sees the data, even yourself. It doesn't mean the data is impossible to share. And again, it goes back to that choice and consent model. There is a use case specifically for radically transparent and decentralized technologies. And a lot of that does have to do with things where you want perfect information for every single player in the system, any actor, any observer. But that's the minority, the vast minority of systems in the world. Usually we have systems where a few people should have some kind of privileged access. Other people should have another level of privileged access. It's that level of programmability and customizability that the public by default foundation of decentralized tech doesn't allow for. But you can have decentralized tech, you can have decentralized cryptocurrencies and privacy preserving capabilities that still allow for auditability. Now you're starting to serve hundreds or thousands of use cases in addition. And I think those are all use cases that still governments and enterprises worldwide care about and use on a daily basis. So Tor, can we talk just a bit about, by the way, hi, <laughs> can we talk just a bit hey, about man. specific technologies, right? So viewing keys sounds straightforward enough. You distribute those to people who you want. But another one that comes up quite a bit when we're talking about crypto and privacy 
is uh, zero knowledge proofs. Uh, so, I mean, can you speak to the role of of that technology in being able to verify information without revealing it? Yeah, we publish a lot of information from Secret about all of the different privacies technologies that have been explored, not just in the crypto space, but for you know decades beforehand. So you have things like zero knowledge proofs, you have things like multi-party computation, fully homomorphic encryption, you have hardware-based privacy technologies that let you do secure computation inside of trusted enclaves. There's there's really a ton. So unfortunately, in the crypto space, sometimes we just meme things, right? We and, and so ZK mm. has become more of a meme than anything else. In fact, among the privacy technologies, I would say ZK and zero knowledge stuff has a lot more to do with scalability than it ever does with privacy. So people have this assumption that it's like, we're going to have blockchain technology, we're going to slap a zero knowledge proof on it, and suddenly all of our problems are solved. And it's just not true. Uh, but ZKPs are really important for solving specific privacy use cases, such as, you know, the full set of information, and you want to selectively reveal your knowledge of a piece of that information. But zero knowledge proofs, for example, are not very good at things like you have data from 17 different data sources, you need to be able to compare that data privately, come to a conclusion about that data, report that conclusion without ever revealing the data to each of the component parties involved in the computation. So ZKPs are super important, but we need to understand these privacy technologies and how they're being implemented in blockchain systems. That's a, that's a very large space that goes well beyond ZK. And Secret's exploring a lot of things beyond ZK. It's, it's actually not our focus. We, we do everything else. Uh, from FHE to TEEs, but it's definitely going to be part of the conversation. And that's where a lot of the innovation has been concentrated for the past couple of years. Hey, Tor, Jen here. Okay, so I know that Secret Network is really focused on user experience and making this all really easy, right? In the current crypto climate where everyone is just super focused on price volatility, super focused on the industry kind of imploding, how do you access that audience and start to explain something that is is pretty complicated if you haven't operated in the space? Uh, usually I DM Coindesk journalists until they let me explain it <laughs> on their show. <laughs> and uh, here you we, are. We, and here we are. <laughs> but yes, we, we do a lot of education. Uh, we're going to be down in Miami for Decentral at the end of the month. We were at conferences like Masari earlier this year. Uh, where the Zcash team was also present. Fortunately, we're not alone. We're, we're actually recent members of the Universal Privacy Alliance. Uh, Zcash is a member there as, as well. So is NIM, so is Mantas, or a number of other projects like Aztec. Because the privacy narrative is, I mean, the short-term stuff is like FTX implodes. There were some fraudsters. They got New York Times headlines that are fawning. And that's all going to be eventually old news. But if you ban privacy technologies today, the Tornado Cash developer still sitting uncharged in a jail cell in Europe. Mm. That's the really important news. So we just try to keep the focus there. All of us together, even though we're building all of us privacy technologies, and really those are more complementary than competitive, because we're all on the same team that for Web3 to actually serve the purpose we wanted it to, human empowerment globally, we do need privacy at its core. We do need these private by default systems. So we're all motivated to sort of keep the public conversation going with our focus on those long-term issues so that we don't all just get lost in the cool headlines or Twitter melting down and Elon closing the cafeteria. It's always, yeah, that always happens. But, you know, we're always going to be there reminding people, hey, by the way, if you don't want to lose all of your human rights, if, if we weren't the kinds of people fighting for that, we wouldn't even have cryptography on our, on our messages anymore. So I'm glad that there's people fighting this fight way before I did. And I'm glad I can continue it now. 
Gotcha. So one minute left, Tor, and I definitely want to close it on the regulatory conversation. This was brought up in conversation about, uh, you know, a leaked draft of, of potentially pending regulations in the EU, whether it's through the alliance you just mentioned or other privacy advocates. What's the what's the regulatory story that you are trying to uh, to get out there? Are you saying, hey, we're cypherpunks, forget the state? Or are you saying, hey, this can work in a way that gives us the optionality of these tools going forward in a regulated and compliant way? Yeah, it, it's certainly not the former. I would hesitate to say that it's also the latter, where we're just like, let's let regulators tell us what to do. I mean, really, what we want to do is educate the regulators, and they have a perspective, and we as technologists have a perspective, and hopefully we get to the right answers. The wrong way to do that is to do regulation by enforcement. The right way to do it is to have public conversations and understand the fundamental issues. So as we get in touch with regulators and we say, hey, at least do you understand the difference between transactional privacy coins, like you know, Monero is a transactional privacy coin, or something like Secret, which is smart contract privacy, meaning the, the coin for the network is public, but the applications are privacy preserving. Because that's the kind of technology that governments actually like. We just had a team win a Department of Defense hackathon building on Secret. Clearly, governments like the idea of being able to do private data sharing in decentralized contexts where they can have some guarantee of security. What they don't necessarily like is being responsible for North Korea's funding of their nuclear program. So having that open conversation and building the tech and showing the tech live on mainnet, that's the way that we educate regulators. They do tend to be pretty good listeners, but I don't take anything for granted. And until uh, our Tornado Cash devs are out of prison, I, I'm certainly not going to expect a good outcome unless we fight Gotcha. Well, Tor, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much uh, for joining us here on The Hash. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.